Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to give a warm welcome to those of you who are tuning in online as well. And, uh, <clears throat> and I want to share uh, a message with us uh, this morning. And, you know, I, I have just 20 minutes and I really do want to try and end on time. But I, I want to just zoom in on the word because I feel like there is still a word that we need to receive this morning and that God wants to shift the way in which we look at certain things. And I've entitled the message this morning called The, Mas the Master and His Servants. And the reason I want to talk about it, because one of the, the common descriptions of our walk with God, right, is, is that we're described as master and servant. And the problem is that we have all kinds of ideas about what that looks like, right? Sometimes we think about black slavery and we think, hey, that's what master and servant looks like. As, you know, Asians, you know, we, we were once a colony of the British Empire, you know, and maybe that's the image that is conjured, you know, the, the colonial masters and, you know, the, those who are colonized, and that's our picture. For those who are really, really young, like people like my kids, they have no idea what these things are. And for them, master and servant looks like Batman and Alfred, okay? So I don't know what the picture is that is painted for you, but, you know, the, the, the biblical picture of the master and servant is honestly so different from any of these pictures. And the Lord gave us a parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 38, four verses, one of the shortest parables and yet one of the most impactful and powerful parables that can literally change the way we view our relationship with Jesus, okay? So I want to read us these four verses and I've subdivided these four verses into three stanzas and you will understand why I do it later on, okay? And uh, verse 35, stanza one says this, let your ways be girded and your lambs burning. Verse 36, and you yourselves be like men who wait or who expect for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. And then finally in stanza three, blessed are those servants whose master when he comes will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself, have them sit down, to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. Now, again, you know, to fully um, appreciate what Jesus is saying in this parable, we got to look a little bit at the structure, okay? And I've got something up on a diagram. I want him to bring the diagram up for us to take a look at. But essentially, this parable is subdivided into three stanzas and each stanza gives us a little bit more detail than the previous stanza. There's a repetition and then there's a little bit more details. And, for, and finally, there is a climax in the third stanza in which a most astounding detail is given to us, which literally changes the way in which we see our walk with the Lord. So from the diagram, what you see is that, you know, the, 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 the stanzas are flanked by a description of the servants, okay? Three times this is given. In the first stanza, servants who are prepared in two ways. Uh, their waists are girded, their lamps are burning, and this flanks the first stanza. And then the second part, again, is flanked by a description of the servants that they're alert. On the first part, that they're ex they, they alert, they're expecting. And the last part, that they're ready to immediately open the door to the master. And then in the center, the additional detail that's given to us is that the master is going to come, right? He's going to withdraw from the wedding, and then he's going to knock on the door. Right? And then finally, in the third stanza, again, it's flanked by, uh, firstly, a description of the servant that they are blessed. And in the midst of it, more details that when the master comes, he's also coming to find. He finds us awake. And if he does, then the master comes and he serves us. Even in the third hour, in the second hour, if he's delayed, he comes and he finds us doing so. Hence, are we are considered blessed. Okay? So you see this sequence of... Um, 
uh, format. And now I want to plunge very quickly and talk about the servants before I talk about the master, okay? Now, when you consider servant and servanthood in the Bible, there is something you need to get very clear about this. When we talk about serving in the Bible, it has nothing to do with servitude, right? Servitude is service that is compelled upon us. We are forced to do it. But in, Christian, in the Christian faith, when we talk about serving, it's never something compelled. It's never something that's forced upon us, right? It's always something in which we need to exercise our free will and we say to the Lord, Lord, I want to serve you. Now, how do we understand this? We understand this through our natural relationships. If you're married here, you understand full well what it means to serve willingly without compulsion. You love your spouse and therefore you serve your spouse. 22 years ago, I, st I stood right here. Pastor Yang officiated my wedding with Wendy. We exchanged vows, you know? And I said to Wendy on that day, you know, um, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, you know, to love, cherish, honour from this day. You know, I said to her that all that I am, I, you know, I give you all that I have, I share with you. At that moment, I shed some tears because <laughs> I saw my bank account disappear. <laughs> But I clearly remember this. Nowhere in that whole wedding ceremony did I make a covenant with my wife that I'll do the dishes. <laughs> Nowhere did I make a covenant that I'll wash the fan, I'll drive the kids to school, and that when she's tired, I'll wake up early and, you know, settle the children. I made none of those things in the vows, and yet willingly do I do it because... I've chosen to love her and to do those things. And likewise, she does those things for me. And we understand this. We love our parents. We love our children, not because some social norm compels us to do so. We love them out of our own free will and of our own volition. And in the same way, we got to choose to love the Lord. It's a choice out of our own lives to say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. It's a personal choice to say, Lord, I'm going to put your agenda above my agenda. Lord, I'm going to sacrifice these things that I might desire because I want to embrace what is it that you desire. All these things has to be a free choice, a free will. It's an altar in which we bring these things before the Lord. And that's what constitutes service in the Christian faith. Amen. Now, in this parable, the three stanzas shows us three things about the servants. The first is the posture of the servant. And there are two descriptions that are given to us. Number one, that our ways are to be girded. And number two, our lambs to be burning. I find this fascinating because when you talk about servants, when you talk about hiring somebody, when you talk about getting somebody to serve, these are honestly the two things that you will not think about. If you are today, say for example, something relatable for many of us, if we're going to the main agency and we're going to hire a domestic helper to help us at home, right? What questions do we ask? You know, what's their age? Can they manage the work? What experience do they have? Can they cook? Can they look after kids? You know, can they do this? Can they do that? Those are the things we're looking at their capacity to do something. But here Jesus gives us descriptions. Are your ways good? Is your lamp burning? And this has nothing to do with work capacity, amen. What does it mean to have your ways good? You see, in the days of Jesus, the people wore these long robes. Necessitated by the climate, by the desert conditions, it was perfect for those conditions. But it was terrible when you have to travel and when you have to work because the long flowing ropes will entangle with your feet. So if you're going to travel, if you're going to work, what you do is you put a belt around yourself or you tie a rope around your waist and what you do is if you're going to a short walk, you pull a little bit, tuck it in, there's more space to walk. 
But if you're going to enter into labor, then you go through the garments of the, you pull it up and you tuck it in. Right? And the diagram illustrates this for us. Now, the, the thematic application for us in the Christian faith is clear. The Bible from Old Testament and New Testament tells us this. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are sojourners. We are not settled. We are walking from one place to another place. We are traveling. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, when God gave the feast of Passover, the first instruction He gives to us is found there. It says, thus you shall eat. Eat what? The Passover lamb with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, your staff in your hands. You shall eat it in haste, the Lord's Passover. Amen. Now that's really unusual and that's really awkward if you really think about it. Can you imagine I invite you to my house and then when you come into my house, it says, hey, don't take out your shoes. You want to take off your jacket or you want to put your bag down? Don't, don't, don't. Keep it on. The food comes. I say, eat fast. Five minutes, that's it. <laughs> and then go. That's exactly how the Passover meal is eaten because it, it describes a principal attitude that is required of us as the followers of Christ and we got to let this sink in that we are travellers. It needs to reorient our values, our lives, our priorities. Amen. We need to be ready to move when God moves. The question for us is this, my brothers and my sisters, are you ready to obey God when He speaks to you? Are you ready to move when He wants to move? Or are we so encumbered by so many things then we're not able to do that. Tonight, I fly off to Wales. You join Pastel as we launch Bless Wales on Tuesday. I want to tell you this, my bag, my luggage is almost all empty. Everything is the stuff that they need, I'm bringing for them. I just bring a few pieces of clothing. If I forget something, guess what? I'm in a developed country. I just go down you know, to the, gro- or the supermarket, to Tesco, I buy whatever that I need. But I remember there was the time where I used to go to Africa and when I went to Africa and I packed, I really had to pack properly. It was always a little backpack, backpack because I know that the moment I land, I'm hopping into the car with the passes, we're going out to the bush and if I didn't bring toilet paper for the next five days, there's nothing. <laughs> And there is something about that shift in mentality. We've lost the ability to understand what it means to be a traveller simply because of how convenient things are today. But God wants us to recover that. God wants our ways to be girded. Our lambs to be burning essentially refers to the fact of keeping our walk alive and on fire with God. Now think about this. When God is describing His servants, He uses these descriptions. And these descriptions has nothing to do with your ability to work. It's got, your, it's got everything to do with your, your being. Not what you're doing, but your being. Amen. Are, are, you, are you ready? Is your walk alive with God? And these are the two elements that are used there to describe the posture of our servanthood. And I, again, I want for us to allow that to sink in because servanthood in the, in, in the eyes of Christ is very different from service in our own eyes. Amen. And the second, the second thing about this parable, it shows us the attitude of servanthood, right? In, in, our, in our New King James Bible, it says this, that we are to be like men who wait for their master, right? The original Greek word permits us to translate this word in two different ways. We can translate it as wait or we can translate it as expect. But in the English language, wait and expect are very different in their nuance, isn't it? To wait implies passivity. If you came a little bit early for service today, you sat down and you waited for the service to start. But if you are expecting, and that's, it altogether projects a different mood, right? You could, you could have come early this morning, you know, before the service sat down, 
and come in expectation that God's going to do something. When we wait, there is a disconnected attitude. But when we expect, it conveys our active participation in what is about to happen. And when Jesus describes His servants, His servants don't wait. They're not hirelings. There is a sense of participation and expectation that the Lord is going to do something in our midst. You see, these little adjustments and inflections are there because they all add up to the overall picture of how this relationship of master and servant is actually supposed to look like. Now, the third thing about this parable, it shows us the status of the servant, right? Because honestly, in the days of Jesus, the servant is the lowest of the lowest. In any household, you have the master who's right at the top, you have the mistress, the children. Then you have the chief steward, then you have the foremen, and then you have the permanent hired staff, and then you have the daily wage workers, and way below that are the slaves or the servants. And they are the lowest status. They have no status whatsoever. And yet Jesus calls, the, calls them blessed. You see, the word blessed is the word makarios. And the word blessed, this word makarios appears in the Beatitudes in which it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. And the thing about the beauty of this word that it's not describing a future state. What this passage is not saying this, that if the master comes back and he sees these servants awake and ready, then he shall bless them. No, that's not what it means. Makarios means that you are already in a state of blessedness. In other words, this passage is telling us this, that those servants whose ways are girded, whose lamps are burning, their walk with God is alive and there's an expectancy in their heart, they are already in a state of blessedness even before the master comes back. In other words, we can be in a state of being blessed, of being content, being full of joy of the Lord, even when Jesus hasn't returned yet, if we have those conditions, if we're ready for the Lord, if our walk with God is alive and our hearts are expectant. And this is the attitude to which the Bible describes concerning the servants, the posture, you know, um, the attitude as well as the status that God wants to give us. Now, I want to turn our attention now to the Master, okay? And it's interesting in this parable because the master does three things that are unusual. Number one, he withdraws from the wedding. Number two, he knocks on the door. And number three, he girds himself up to serve the servants. Now, in most versions uh, of the Bible, the modern day Bible, it is always translated this, that he will return from the wedding. If you read your New King James, that's what it says, he will return from the wedding. But if you read early versions, you know, in more ancient languages of the Bible, they always translate this not as return, but withdraw then the master withdraws from the wedding. Now, return and withdraw paints two completely different pictures. To return indicates this, the wedding is ended, it's over, everybody returns. But to withdraw means that the wedding is still going on, the party is still at full, you know, in, in, you know rolling at full steam, and then the master decides that he's going to sneak out early and absent himself from the wedding. Right? And that's what it, it means. Now, hold that thought for a moment. I'm going to piece the next two actions together and it will all make sense. Okay? The second action that is unusual here is that the master knocks on the door. Now, we need to understand that in the days of Jesus, there is no peephole. There is no electronic camera at the door. And in the, in the night, when someone comes knocking on the door, it is not something to be uh, happy about. Okay? Because at night, people should be sleeping. They shouldn't be knocking on your door. So when you come back to your own homes, you don't knock. Because knock is a sound of a security breach. But you come back home and you raise your voice and say, I'm home. 
And when the servants hear your voice, they recognize your voice, they'll open the door. That's how it works. That's why Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, Jesus calls with his voice. And it's in the recognition of his voice then do we open the door because nobody opens the door in the night to a voice that is not recognized. So the question is, why did the master knock instead of uh, why did the master knock instead of calling? Now, if you, and if you look at the first part and this part, then it ties together because the master quietly withdrew from the wedding to return home and he knocks because he doesn't want his absence from the wedding to become known. So he comes quietly, he comes unobtrusively and the servants know that he's coming, they're expecting him and so when the knock comes, they immediately open the door because they know and expect the master is going to return. Now, finally the master comes back and then he girds himself and he serves the servants. Now, this is probably the most astounding, unacceptable part of this parable. The same way in the Last Supper, just before that, when Jesus girded himself up and wanted to wash the feet of his disciples, it was so, so unacceptable that Peter stood up in objection and says, Lord, you'll not wash my feet because it's not acceptable. Only slaves would do that. Amen. And yet this is exactly what happens in this parable. The servants are brought into the main room of the house. In those days, there is a room that is used to receive the guests where the guests would recline. There would be pillows there where they would lie down and they would partake of the hospitality of the master. And the servants themselves have stood there many times serving the esteemed guests of the master. But now all of a sudden the master comes and he says, no, you guys come and I want you to sit. I want you to recline in these places because I am going to serve you. The roles have now been reversed. And at the same time, where did the food come from? They were told that he serves them a meal, but where did the food come from? Because he snuck out of the wedding, because he quietly knocked on the door, we then can now say this, that he also brought something back from the wedding in order to bring it to the servants and make them recline and partake of this meal that he has brought from the banquet. Now, let me put all this together and help us reframe the way we see things. You see, so many times we read this parable and we look at it from the perspective of the servants because we identify with the servants. And therefore, when you look at it from that point, you always see this parable as an eschatological parable. It is a parable about the second coming of Jesus. And what is listed is a list of things that we as servants need to be prepared and ready so that we don't miss the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's how we all read this. But if you were to step away from the perspective of the servant and put yourself and look through the perspective of the master, what is given to us is now an incredible description of incarnation and atonement. Jesus left the splendor and the glory of heaven. The feasts, the festivities, the glory, the excellence. And he snuck into earth in the most unobtrusive, in the most understated manner, quietly in a little town called Bethlehem, known only by a few wise men and some poor, humble shepherds unannounced, in a most unfantastical fashion, he comes back and what does he do? That when he returns, he comes to us and he changes our status. He takes us from being slaves and he elevates us to a place of sons and he makes us sit down in the honoured place of the master and not only that, he brings something from heaven 
from that feast that is going on, from that which is going, the glory that is there, and He gives it to us, and He feeds us, and He serves us. Jesus said this, I did not come to be served, but to serve. There is something about this parable that perhaps we have missed, that we've only seen one half of this parable talking about the servants, but we've not seen the other half talking about the master. And so we've not fully grasped what this parable is meant to convey to us. You see, are we supposed to now shift our perspective only to the perspective of the master and abandon the eschatological views of this parable? I don't think so. I think the intention is for us to be able to couple both of them together and to see what God is communicating to us about what is our part and what is His part. To let us know that He's brought us into a divine dance with Him. I think that the literal fulfillment or foreshadowing of this happened in the upper room in the Last Supper where Jesus girded Himself and served His disciples. He gave them of a meal, the, la- the communion, the sacrament of the bread and the wine, and He gave them a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, I want to present this to us because so often in our walk with God, we only see what is our part. We focus on what we need to do, 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 do. And I want to encourage us to think about this again, that it is not about, it's not in the doing, it is in the being. Is our lives reorientated? Is our value system properly aligned? Are we maintaining what is most precious to the Lord about our lives, which is the communion He gets from us, of our time with Him? Are we expectant? You know, and I, I feel this every time I talk about this expectancy, I feel like there's so many people that you have stopped expecting from God. That you have, be, you have become disappointed by circumstances, you become disappointed by situations, and you're not expecting from God anymore. You don't want to be disappointed anymore. But I want to tell you this, God wants us to be expectant of Him. He wants us to place our expectations upon Him because He's worthy of that. He's able to meet our expectations. Amen. But there's this other side about what Jesus has done for us. And this is where our attention, we miss all the time. We look at ourselves all the time and we fail to look at who the Lord is, what He has done. His descending on earth, His condescension to us, and not just that, His elevation of our lives so that we sit in heavenly places together with Him. Amen. My prayer is that as we come into this season where we are seeking the Lord, what we really need to do as we seek the Lord is to look at Him more and more. The Bible tells us that as we gaze upon His glory, then we are being transformed from glory to glory. There is no transformation that can come to us if you are gazing at yourself. There is no transformation that will happen that will come to you if you're always looking inside at yourself. You've got to get your eyes on Jesus and we've got to read our Bibles in a fresh way whereby we see Jesus in everything that we read. Amen? Let's all stand to our feet. I want to bring this to a close. And I want to invite us wherever we are to respond to the Lord. Amen. And as we respond to the Lord, it is really about turning our eyes to the Lord. It's about focusing upon Him afresh. You know, you know there's something wonderful that's happening in Ashbury. There's a real move of God. And honestly, there are a lot of people commenting about it. I don't know if you know about this. I don't know if you watched the videos. I don't know if you've read the comments. I've only watched a little bit of the videos, but I made a decision. I am no commentator on this. I just want to taste it. I want to experience it in my own life. 
And what it's done over the last couple of weeks is generated such a hunger in my heart for more of God. I was being told this by Pastor Elijah that the man who spoke on the 8th of February before this thing broke out in a chapel, uh, Pastor Elijah said, I listened to this man speak. Nothing fantastic. <laughs> Nothing. In fact, the man finished his message, walked back, texted his wife, and he said, I didn't do well. I think it was, you know, it was a flop. And God moved. And that meeting hasn't stopped till today. There's something about our eyes that's always looking at ourselves. And I want to invite us to shift our eyes to look at the Lord. Not to say that there's nothing that we need to do, but we need to see more of Jesus in our lives and what we're doing. Amen? I want to ask us to bow our heads, close our eyes, and we're just going to pray. Father, we just so thank you, Lord, for your graciousness that when we do not know what to do, you know what to do, Lord. That you never ever leave us to our own end and our own devices, Lord. That you never abandon us, but you constantly draw us. I thank you that this morning, I felt so distinctly that there are people whom you are calling this morning. And you are asking people not to give up. I feel like there are people who have sort of forgotten their first love. They've forgotten their zeal for the Lord. They've forgotten that relationship with God. It's not that, you're it's not that you are walking away from God. It's not that you're walking in sin. But there is something of the freshness and the life of that walk is just missing. And I just feel and declare over all of us that there is now a season and a window that is open. And God is inviting us to draw near to Him. And if you draw near to Him, He'll kindle the fire again. He'll visit you afresh. And He'll come in a fresh manner that we may have not experienced before. That we may drink of Him and be satisfied. Our thirst will be quenched and we don't need the things of this world anymore to satisfy us and to prop us up. And it's not about religiosity, it's not about these do's, but there is a preoccupation with the Christ who has come for us. There's a preoccupation with God the Father who is revealing Himself. Father, we just thank You, Lord, I just ask you, Lord, to do the one thing that you can do that I cannot do, which is to draw us to yourself, Lord. This is the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord. It is your sovereign choice, Lord, to open the doors and to invite us, God. I only pray, Lord, that you open our ears, not the ears, of the physical, but the ears of the Spirit, the ears of our hearts, Lord, to be open that we would hear that invitation. An invitation not of words, Lord, but an invitation that touches to the very core of who we are, Lord. And we would draw near and seek You while You may be found, Lord. Father, we draw near to You, Lord. We thank you that you are our master. We are your servant. What an honor it is to be your servant.
Let our loins, Lord, and our waist be girded. Let our lamps be burning. Our hearts be expecting. And let us understand that we are the child of God. The chains of fear are broken. The slavery has been cancelled. And we've been exalted to the place to be seated in heavenly places, Lord. Father, we come to you, Lord. This is the sovereign work of God that we ask you to do in our hearts, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Father, I just want to now speak your blessings over every person that is here. And I declare it over them. The blessings of God the Father, the blessings of God the Son, and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap off and shout it. listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.